0: That's enough. We're done here. I'm not quitting. I'm not letting you get killed. He's twice
1: your size. You don't get to decide wait. this for me. Please, let's just cut our losses.
0: Come on! I'm fine! Okay, okay. Okay, rematch. Last one. All
1: in. We have ourselves a rematch. Odds coming in at 45 to 1. Place your bets now. I want the money line. Put it all on a Woshikun.
0: Transfer complete.
1: Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me in the ring... This is Tyler Orton
0: ripping off his Starfleet uniform, ready to crush skulls in the octagon right now.
1: Ding, ding. <laughs> and we're here this week, folks, to talk about the return of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 8 of Season 4, All In...
0: Yeah. So, Cam, are you all in on season four of Discovery uh, <laughs>
1: now that we're past the halfway mark? Um, well, no. Uh, I I honestly don't know what to make of some of these episodes anymore. It's like I, I watch them in a strange, detached state where I, like, take my notes. I'll go, oh, that's sort of an interesting thing. But a lot of it is more like a not a good or bad. I just sit there and observe. <laughs> it's just that the show is just there, right? It's like Observer Report. I am just watching things happen in front of me, and I'm like, hmm, taking notes on this. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Look, this is not an episode where I was, like, angry because it was so bad. Uh, this is an episode I just found rather boring. It really felt as if they were trying to, you know, cross their T's, dot their I's, and do some table setting for where things are going later on in the season. I think they need to explain why this uh, Burnham and Book relationship is going to be crumbling, and well, the problem is that you left off on this kind of um, mid-season finale, where it's a bit of a clank uh, a, like a cliffhanger. It's kind of this excitement, you know. Book and Tarka are out on the road, and then all of that forward momentum of the you know big story arc, it just it grinds to a halt with an episode like this, where we wind up on this like really tiny casino barge <laughs> and. Like, they have to play poker against each other. And I'm just kind of like, okay, like, whatever forward momentum that we're getting in that last episode, and I, I like the previous episode, the, the yeah, mid-season uh, finale, it just kind of, it, it, it's all deflated here. And, and like, I just, and, and also this stuff, like, okay, <laughs> Awashikin getting in to fight MMA. um, If Giorgio was not, gone from the series if tilly was not gone from the series like it would have been one of those two as you know the, kind of the little helper with burnham and and i think i'm just being honest I, I think Giorgio and tilly bring so much more as their uh you know as burnham's partners in crime than we get with washington i just admire the restraint of the show to not have burnham in the ring I, yeah yeah that's a very good point now you know i, I guess it would have been Giorgio had uh, she still been around
1: um do you think it would have been tilly Or Burnham, if uh, Tilly was still around. I think it's Burnham and Tilly's the one taking the bets. I actually think Mary Wiseman could really have fun in that scene of going around collecting the bets and being kind of, you know, wacky Tilly. I think that could have been pretty fun. Yeah. Uh,
0: Sorry, I've been
1: yammering. What what is your takeaway overall on uh, this uh, uh, mid-season premiere? I thought I was in real trouble just in terms of like podcast conversation on this episode for like the first maybe like 15, 20 minutes of the episode. Because it was all just felt like housekeeping and characters just talking about the plot of the show. And I was like, oh no. Like, we're going to have some sort of filler episode here where we're going to come on to talk about the return of Discovery. And it's like, yeah, we just kind of caught up with what's going on. And, uh, well, hopefully next week something happens. Which is always my worst fear for an episode of any Star Trek show. Thankfully, it wasn't that. And that it did get kind of weird on that you know, casino, which did call to mind a lot of the sets of, you know, the Star Trek shows that didn't have money. Like, you know, DS9 or Voyager or TNG, where it's like, let's create, like, a casino, but we only have one small room to do it in. That's what this kind of felt like. But, like, it's kind of hard to hate an episode that has, like, MMA fighting and poker, because at least it feels different and weird. Even if there was a couple problems. I mean, we can talk more about the MMA, but, like, just in terms of fight choreography, it was a little lacking. And in terms of the poker stuff, I didn't really understand the type of poker they were playing, so it was very hard for me to get any sort of suspense in terms of who was playing and how well they were playing, etc. I, I just didn't find that there was much dramatic
0: tension throughout this episode. You know, I kind of no. knew things would work out in the end, as they always do for Burnham. Uh, if I was her, I would have just put the tracking device on the, that little, in, I was going to call it insulin, but uh, iso, <laughs> isolinium, I, yeah. I think it's called you know, and then uh, ducked out after that or something like that. And and, and you, you talk about the housekeeping. It, it seemed as if time and again, the characters were talking to each other as if they were writers in the writer's room trying to explain away plot holes, which kind of made me angry. You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, I I forget, I think it was Rillick who was just like, well, you should have done everything within your power to uh, arrest, you know, uh, Tarka and, and Book while you're there. And then, you have Vance go, well, they were not in Federation territory and they had to uh, give up their badges. And, and I'm just like, oh, God, like, like, it's it's like this sort of frustrating, like, housekeeping stuff that is going on throughout. Because I, I think they knew that there were just a lot of, like, head-scratching, like, plot holes. But overall, like, I just found this one, like, extraordinarily boring to watch. It felt like one of those, like, late season three episodes that we were complaining about so much um, a year ago.
1: Yeah, I... You know, when we had the stuff with them getting chewed out by the Federation president, she had the bit where, she, you know, they say they had no idea this was coming. And she goes, well, I'm kind of concerned that you had no idea this was coming. And I'm like, I kind of like that they're being held accountable by the Federation yeah. president. I was like, this is the kind of stuff I liked in episode one of this season, where we have a character to actually call out Burnham sometimes on her hunches and, you know, instincts. But, like, it's the sort of thing where this character calls them out. How did you not know this was coming when Book was clearly acting somewhat unstable in recent weeks of us watching the show? And uh, she's just like, I don't know, it's just kind of hand-waved away. Like, there's no finality. There's no, like, you're in trouble for this. It's still like, well, Burnham, go figure this out. And okay, like, fine. It's like, it seems weird to introduce a character who seems like they are there to try to be somewhat of, I don't want to say a voice of reason, but a different voice. An outside voice that has some authority, and then they don't really matter. It's just, I don't know.
0: Well, it's just kind of this constant undermining of whatever dramatic tension that they're trying to build up to, and then it just automatically means nothing, especially where, hey, Cam, I'm shocked to hear this. Um, Burnham has to disobey orders to get the job done. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You know. um, so all I can say is that I did not miss Discovery the same way a Cardassian misses cake.
1: <laughs> weird line. I also thought it was just a really weird choice, and I don't want to judge the show for what it, you know, didn't want to be. But in terms of what was set up at the end before the hiatus of um, Book and um, and Tarka on the run, you got the sense maybe we were going to have kind of a race against time going on with these two. Mm -hmm. And like the show just completely undercut that in this episode, which maybe was the intention all along. I don't want to say that that wasn't, you know, that they stepped wrong because we'll see what the final journey of the show is. But it just seemed weird to set that up as kind of a cliffhanger and then completely undercut it. Well, now we know what they're up against.
0: You know, the DMA is mining equipment.
1: You know? <laughs> I thought of you immediately and I laughed out loud at the reveal of mining equipment.
0: Yeah, for longtime listeners, uh, of course, you know that I, I can't get over Star Trek's absolute obsession with mining that Like, that every single plot somehow has to deal with mining, and now the fact that the, the big mystery of the season is all about mining as well. I'm like, this is quintessential Star Trek. Thank you very much. But I, I, I Kim, do you care about the, this big, you know, A plots, you know, kind of the, the, the story arc for the season? We're, we're eight episodes in. We, we are, you know, two thirds of the way through at this point.
1: I don't, but I don't know if it's because of the design of the show. Like, you and I have talked in the past about some of these completely um, conflict-free Star Trek stories that just don't work. And I think they did something interesting in setting up this conflict between Burnham and Book for the season. We definitely understand his motivations. We understand Tarka's motivations. We understand, you know, Burnham and the Federation. But it's like something's falling flat. It just feels like this should be the sort of thing where we're kind of Leaning forward, being like, okay, this is what we wanted all along. We didn't want an outside force like Sukal. We wanted actual character conflict involving people we care about. But it's just not gelling. It's like the show can kind of pivot away from a problem, but somehow it still deflates. And I wish I could figure out what it is. I wonder if it's going to be the sort of thing like years down the road when we do check-ins, you know, going back and watching this show, if it all is very clear. But kind of in the moment, not knowing where we're going the next three episodes... It's just very frustrating, and that's a word I get really tired of using talking about Star Trek Discovery. I hate to break it to you.
0: We've got more than three episodes left to go in this season. um, Is it more? I thought it was like
1: three after this one.
0: I don't believe so. Um, I I could be wrong. I I believe this is
1: the standard uh, 13-episode season, right? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I I can't remember from the dates. I think there was only four left, I think, with Picard showing up at the start of March. No, maybe I'm wrong about that, though. I think you've been—I think you've been deferring
0: to IMDb, which says eleven episodes, but um, I, I don't believe that's the case, though. I, I believe it's thirteen episodes for the rest okay. of the season. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I, I think the issue, though, is uh, just their reliance on these mystery box, you know, storytelling, and the, the fact is, these mysteries at the end of the season—that I, I, I don't care what what the answer is—and when I go back and rewatch the seasons, it, it doesn't add anything to the series when I know what the answer to the mystery is. Either way, like. Um, what if we knew that it was su Call the entire time that he was the one responsible for the destruction of the Federation, or, or the fall, I should say. And, I mean, it didn't add anything for me. Uh, knowing that Burnham was the Red Angel didn't add anything for me. Um, if I go back and rewatch the first eight episodes, knowing that it was mining equipment that um, destroyed uh, uh, planet Qui-Gon Jinn you know then uh like it's just if you're gonna do a mystery box you gotta have something like there to just like make it gripping you know and 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 i just don't find these cliffhangers gripping and i think it's just lacking like this tension as you're saying as well so i i I gotta ask you this michael burnham she has a quote-unquote old friend a broker on uh Pyrathia. um Burnham was a courier for one year before Discovery arrived, uh, so she's been, you know, in this <laughs> century for about, what, two and a half years maximum? Kim, if you met somebody, like, three years ago, would you call them an old friend? Old? No. No, that is not appropriate. It, it's it's like we're trying to, uh, or the writers wanted us to think that she was a courier for, like, five, six, seven years or something like that. I was like, no, uh, that's not the case. But I, I did like the makeup for Has. Uh, that that. Was interesting, you know, and I, he gave him a little n- cool nickname for a book, glowworm. I'm going to start calling you that. Thank uh, you. From now thank on. you. And why is it, uh, you know, this has been going on, you know, since the 70s, but um, every time it's like the future and you have to listen to music, it all sounds like the same sort of like techno. It's like, <laughs> it, it, it's either that or Star Trek's obsessed with classical music. So I I, I, I don't know. But you got to think of something else. Like, I don't know, like, um, it, it doesn't all have to be like, kind of staccato, like, beat-driven stuff. G- give the music a little bit more melody if you uh, want to have, like, uh, the casino of the future.
1: Bring back that four-armed uh, piano player from uh, the uh, two-parter from TNG. <laughs> uh, we're missing that uh, quite a bit. Now, like, I'm
0: missing the um, droid drummer from uh, Star Wars.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, the The location of this bar is just so underwhelming. And if you're going to have an episode set within a you know the single location it didn't do a very good job of establishing a cool place to hang out or even just kind of the geography of the room because you had bits where they're chasing around that changeling and it's just like, it feels like they're just like moving around tables to try to make this place feel bigger than it is. What did you think of seeing a a changeling once again? I mean, it was kind of cool to see, but it's kind of a tossed off thing of there's a changeling. So, I mean, just the, the makeup, the updated makeup looked cool. I can say
0: that. I did like seeing the changeling as a tribble, but I I guess what I'm getting at is like this is the first time we see a a changeling since, I um, uh, deep space nine. Did we see one on lower decks? That's what I'm wondering though. Like if there's even a reference though. But it's been so long, and it was just kind of it it was not a notable appearance. Like I don't know. Like I would have been interested. Like is this like one of the uh, the infants like Odo that they put out? Is the what what's going on with the Dominion? At this point in time, especially knowing, you know, like just kind of advances in, well, actually, I guess with dilithium all gone, it's not as if they would be uh, going back and forth. I don't know. It's just like there's interesting things that they scratch the surface of, but they never quite go in.
1: Yeah, like I would like to know why this changeling is just like spending its time um, cheating at gambling. <laughs>
0: really? um. So, Kim, I can confirm that uh, Discovery, it's... Finale is March 17th. So we've got five more episodes to go. Five more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm just kind of like, I, and this is, and I guess I bring that up though. It's just like, do you feel as if there's like five episodes more of story to tell? It seems as if, so far that they, they've stretched out three episodes of story across eight episodes at this point.
1: Yeah, and the fact that this show doesn't do any diversions to spend, you know, just an episode doing an isolated thing, like North Star within the Zindi War, for example, the best example. Um, We don't get anything like that. So, no, I don't feel like I can really watch Burnham chase after Book and Tarka for, like, four more episodes until we get to a finale. That seems really dragged out. Um, I mean, Tarka was alluding to, like... Just different dimensions, like not
0: necessarily just the mirror universe, but like, I, I wonder if maybe it, it, within two episodes, we're touching on like the idea of parallel dimensions, so like maybe we go for just kind of a, a, a totally different turn with regards to the crux of this season long arc, but I I don't know, I'm just, I, I'm not confident that they'll do anything interesting with the the DMA now that we find out that it, it's mining equipment.
1: Yeah, the deadliest mining equipment since Nero in Star Trek 2009. Yeah,
0: really. <laughs> now, you'd think that these aliens that are, are so advanced, they would realize that this mining equipment would be incredibly destructive and that folks would start to investigate. You know, like I, I, just, I, I just feel as whatever the answer is going to be, I'm going to be thoroughly disappointed.
1: Now, do you think we are going to hold off meeting this species until the end of the season? Or do you think we are going to meet up with them in like an episode or two and then spend a few with them?
0: Well, we did get an episode titled Sukal. uh, So, and that was, I think we had him for three episodes uh, at the end of last season. So I would hope that we, maybe by episode 10 or 11 we meet species, what is it? Unknown species 10C or whatever. Yeah. Like, sure. I just, I don't know. I, 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 unless it's like a really cool species or a, a fan shout out like you've never seen before. I, I can't imagine this being anything other than a disappointment.
1: Yeah, because if they show up and it's like, well, we had uh, the broker here on Perithia. If it's the equivalent of like, oh, it's the Perithians. I'd be like, okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, okay, cool. It's neat. Tell us about them. Maybe they're interesting, but I, I don't know. Like after we had that episode with the um cryo aliens, uh, from, you know, a few ago, where like that was a stretched out hour just with a new alien species. I don't know that I have a lot of faith in this show to introduce a new alien that I'm like, I really want to spend multiple episodes with them.
0: So one of the
1: lines that I wrote down early on
0: was, you know, after Burnham comes back onto the ship and Saru is there to greet her she says you know and it's because book her boyfriend has taken off betrayed everybody and saru says we support you captain we all do and i was thinking like what other series where it's like of course you know you have to give the emotional support of its star trek discovery followed up by an mma octagon match you know like 20 minutes later but i was thinking like i I wonder if a character in Deep Space Nine could have said that to Cisco after Cassidy's portrayal. I, like, I, I don't want to like just kind of like harp on some of Discovery's flaws. I, I, it, it's, it's not conception that I think is the issue here. It's execution. So often when it comes to Discovery, and, and like I could totally buy Kira saying that line to Cisco, but when I hear Saru saying it to Burnham, it just makes me kind of want to gag.
1: I don't know that it makes me want to gag. It's more that I don't regard it as anything. It just like kind of almost feels like dialogue to fill time where I go like okay cool and it's like a similar kind of moment that should be emotionally affecting in some way I think of Tarka's discuss uh, discussion with Awashikin later in the episode where she's kind of prodding him a little bit to try to find out you know why he's doing this and it's like I feel like this should be an emotional breakthrough moment where I'm walking away with like more of an appreciation for him as an antagonist of the season and it just doesn't click. It just kind of feels very flat. Like all of these deliveries felt very flat in this episode. Well, the reason this rule line popped out to me is because it's yet
0: another reminder that this is the most emotionally fragile crew. Yeah. Uh, that we've ever seen in Star Trek, where Star Trek is known for having more of the the icy kind of rigid types. Of course, that that's what I can uh, relate to the best there. Uh, but you see that again when we have that it's a kind of an odd scene yet again in uh in stamets and uh hugh culber's uh chambers where he like culber's like really really stressed out so he's cleaning really hard and like he has the ridiculous notion that all the emotional baggage of the entire crew it's on his shoulders and as a logical person he must know that's not actually the case. And, you know, Stamets has to point that out. But I'm just like, I, it, it's kind of frustrating. Like, those moments are frustrating to me because they seem as if they're, they're, they're the, the show is trying so hard. And I'm just like, okay, just maybe if, if you're not that thirsty for that sort of attention. It, it's kind of why people kind of like, I like Anne Hathaway but she is one of those kind of tryhards, you know, and that's why she rubs some people the wrong way with like, she she wants to have that kind of uh, validation. And I feel that with discovery oftentimes it's like they, they, they really want everybody to think it's a spectacular show all the time. And we address emotions in, in ways that no other series have. And I agree with that. They do. I just don't know if execution
1: is their specialty. I found that scene actually very frustrating because it's like, what is this? Like, it's this one little tangential moment of Culber stressed out, and it's, like, the show feeling like they have to acknowledge that, you know, as the, you know, therapist of the ship, he might feel something about it, but it's not even, like, a B story. It's, like, one scene, and then it's, like, well, let's go walk on the holodeck among the flowers scene. Like, they couldn't even be bothered trying to, like, flesh this out into something that wasn't on the nose. Like, you think of so many Star Trek B-stories where maybe Culber starts behaving in a certain way. And the root of the problem is that he's being bothered by this or something. Like, get something out of it versus two characters just literally talking about specifically this one instance and then just wrapping it up in one scene. It felt so lazy.
0: Well, you brought up the point, like, what is this show? And and we had, like, it's simultaneously supposed to be serious but then we have this really playful music going on at certain points during the casino stop, but it's also a lot of dramatic music playing. And then you have those like weird like Dutch angles when they're playing poker and and Burnham's doing all these wacky faces. Yeah, that was weird. And I'm just like, I, it's like, they just, there's no sense of like consistent tone. And this was directed by two directors. And I don't know, I, I don't think they're directing partners. I, my sense is like, maybe there was some... Uh, bad directing going on and you had to have somebody come in and, and, and fix it that that's my only read but the uh, the director's guild they're very very particular yeah. on how directors are credited um it, it's very rare that they would credit two directors and in those cases generally people that have like long-standing partnerships um and i mean that like um like professional partnerships so i don't know what to make uh, of some of the directing choices in this one this one just it just felt like such a, a a flat return for Discovery after we we went without it for about, what, six, seven weeks.
1: Yeah. And I don't mind, like, shifts of tone. Like, I actually appreciate that. And sometimes it gets boring how a lot of TV or film now feels like it has to stick to one specific tone and not deviate at all. But it's, like, it's really hard to go in an episode like this from the first 20 minutes or whatever, which is, I don't even know what would you call that tonally. Flat? Like, it has just no energy. Like, there's no real intensity it's just kind of there, and then cutting to like Burnham being wacky at a card table. It's 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 jarring, but not in a way that you go, "Oh, that's a really fun pivot of tone." It just feels like it feels like ill-fitting parts jammed together, and yeah. there's no like seg from one to the other. It just feels unnatural to watch, and I feel like in a different world, if some of the events of this show this episode took place in a different show we might find that episode at least a guilty pleasure we might be kind of laughing about oh you remember the ring fight or do you remember the card you know game with burnham or whoever the lead character in this alternate you know show could be like cracking wise at a table like it could have been fun but it's just lacking that spark i I don't it's just weird like yeah go
0: ahead It just, it it seemed as if I've I've seen those scenes a million times before. They weren't doing anything interesting, or they didn't subvert our expectations. Did you, for one second, think that Awashakun was going to lose? Like, I didn't. No. So it's just kind of like...
1: I don't know, like, um... Not the best fight choreography either, and I think Discovery's done some pretty strong fight choreography. This was not the most convincing. Um, Tsunkatsi may have done it better. (laughs) Sure.
0: Um, Look, I want to jump over to another topic, but uh, any final thoughts on this episode before we talk, Cam, about something relevant here, whether or not there uh, might be too much Star Trek on TV right now?
1: I've got a couple quick notes I'll make. Um, Hollow Sea Monster was interesting. Never expected to see that. And also, um... The goth duo playing cards with them. Why did they not give them any personality that might have made the game more interesting?
0: Did they have more than one line each? I
1: don't know. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> anyway, Cam, uh, we just talked about kind of the, the, the pivot and tone that you don't necessarily mind. And we can go and pivot it through tone quite a bit with Star Trek, you know, for like one week to the other. It's going to be different, uh, at least classic Star Trek. And... I'm thinking about, like, what we're getting right now uh, with so much Star Trek on TV. And, look, we we just finished up with Prodigy, and that was kind of a big uh, change in tone versus what we're having with Discovery this week as well. And we're soon going to be, like, having Picard and... Discovery dropping episodes all in the same week, like simultaneously for three weeks, which is going to be um, (laughs) very interesting. Uh, I think for the first three episodes of Picard, that's when we'll be winding up with uh, episodes 11, 12, and 13 of Discovery. Um, For you and me, I don't feel as if there's too much star trek right now i feel as if it's kind of uh, a good way to dig into contents uh you know but do you think for the average person are they facing kind of that that marvel television problem where a lot of folks are feeling as even if those are six episode miniseries or mini seasons a lot of folks are saying like eh, maybe there's just too much marvel on tv right now I, I don't feel it with star trek
1: but i'm i'm in this certain bubble what are your thoughts on this i I think they are really asking a lot when you start having this doubling up thing because you have Discovery and Picard, like three episodes overlapping. And don't you also have an overlap with Strange New Worlds and one of the other shows? I believe, yeah, Picard and Strange New Worlds. That makes sense to me because I think they
0: want to give Strange New Worlds kind of that uh, that marketing push. And maybe some of that Picard momentum will uh, will bring some attention to them, too. So I get that one. Yeah.
1: I just... I. I know that in the past you would have a lot of other Star Trek shows on, you know, on the on the air at the same time. That's the you know, the era of 90s TV when Star Trek was really flourishing. But like your options for content were much less then. And now when I think of how much people are being bombarded with, it seems like a lot to cram this many Star Trek shows on people in a year and expect them to follow week to week or whenever the drop dates are and continue to be invested and excited by what's going on.
0: I've been talking to other folks uh, that watch Star Trek, and they're definitely not as hardcore as you and I are, but they've been watching various
1: series. I don't know many of them that are watching all of them, though. Yeah, I've found that as well. Like, I know, God, I don't know if I know many people actually watching any of the shows now outside of kind of our Star Trek friend circle. But at a certain point in time, there was some that were continuing along with Discovery, but they didn't watch Picard, for example
0: and i think some folks were like yeah maybe i'll get around to watching lower decks or prodigy i i have been uh uh prodding people to check out prodigy i I think that's been kind of a highlight so far in the last couple months with regards to that i just wonder if we're going to get to the saturation point or if it doesn't really matter because i think we've talked about it over the years but essentially the paramount plus strategy is they want to build you know, archives like video libraries essentially uh, doesn't really matter when these folks are watching it as long as they keep people subscribing and there's enough new content or content that they haven't discovered before that they can get into. So maybe after somebody finishes, maybe somebody, you know, subscribes to Paramount Plus right now and they binge watch, you know, three and a half seasons of Discovery. Uh, all they have left to do is jump into uh, season one of Picard or the first few seasons uh, Lower Decks, and I think that's from a business standpoint that that's great. Uh, you and I don't mind it. I'm just wondering if it if it matters to anyone else, though. Or, or I, I I I'm going back to the late '90s, where it really felt as if um, we're kind of getting oversaturated with you know 52 episodes of Star Trek every year, yeah. which maybe I shouldn't have been complaining at the time, but
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I would be game for shorter Discovery seasons. If they want to do these serialized stories, please cut them down. Like these 13 episode seasons of dragged out arcs are too much. Like cut them down to eight episodes and I might be happier. That could, that would be okay.
0: You want the final season of Discovery is just going to be kind of a a mini season for you, Cam? You know what? I'm okay with it. I'll sign off on that. Where do I sign? Better quality, right? Like, sure. I, I would much take, I, I much prefer, like, better quality over just, like, more, like, another 13-episode season. Like, with, again, it's that issue. Uh, we, we saw that in some of those Marvel, like, the Netflix Marvel shows, not the, uh, the Kevin Feige Marvel shows. But it was just, it's very clear that they're stretching about, like, five episodes of story across 13 episodes. And even, like, watching Hawkeye. It felt about like one and a half episodes of story stretch over six episodes. So, and I will get into Boba Fett <laughs> later, but like, <laughs> I I don't like I, I'm just like if you don't have a story worth telling, then don't don't obsess over kind of these big long arcs that are like supposed to be the dominant thing of your season. Like have fun doing the kind of those more episodic adventures. And and it was interesting, like I thought Mando like struck like a really good balance between those like in his first two seasons. Like you knew kind of where they were going, but each episode is very distinct in a and of itself.
1: Well and when you really think about you know how many stories support like twelve hours or whatever. Very few. And to, like, try to figure that out every season, you know, is what Discovery and, you know, Picard are doing, that's really a lot to ask. I mean, back in the day, you would have all of these ongoing shows that were more or less going to be episodic, and you might have some miniseries that would air, like, a couple times a year would be, like, these six-hour epics or something, but they are trying to do that every year, and when these stories go down hard, you know, quality-wise, it drags down just... 13 hours of your life and so i i just wish they would focus more on shorter seasons for some of these stories because it's just i don't know many storytellers that could be doing these 13 hour stories every year
0: i don't know i i feel like it they're putting so much
1: money into it and i'm like well you could probably save yourself
0: some money and just do a lot more of these bottle episodic bottle episodes as well and even if you want to do 13 episodes like sure but like make it more episodic and i won't be nearly as frustrated although i think the, the whole model for the uh, the streaming era of television is like you're meant to have like season long arcs so that people finish the entire season and want to see what happens next you are meant to have kind of these cliffhangers so that people tune in for the next episode and it's not only because they're waiting a full week it's it's these are built for kind of those video libraries that people will be devouring in the future where you just want to keep people hooked for, you know, 10 hours straight. I get that. I'm just, it's, um, so far with discovery that, strategy hasn't been working on me. So I'm hopeful that with Strange New Worlds being more episodic, um that could work. And like I I think they kind of did it really well with Lower Decks. Uh that like it wasn't like I was bored watching more episodic adventures there and I think a lot of people love to kind of like do you hear people getting like bored of binge watching a, a Simpsons season? Like there's no like giant story arc going on there that
1: you need to follow all the way to the end? No, not at all. And I mean I find, too, like, the problem is that uh, when it comes to, like, Discovery, I wish, honestly, this is a show I just wish they dropped the whole season. It doesn't make sense for their model at all. They want to keep you, you know, obviously subscribing for months on end. Um, But, like, some shows, if you give me an episode, I am totally satisfied to take that week, you know, think about that episode and come back the next week. I felt that with Mando. I felt that with more so Discovery seasons one and two. But, like, with these, like, seasons three and four Discovery, I'm just like, I wish I could just burn through this thing and talk about the season, as opposed to trying to remember week to week what's going on, where it's just not... It's not grabbing me enough to remember the minutiae of each episode, and they aren't interesting enough to kind of obsess over. Well, I... I... I made sure I did not
0: skip the recap at the start of this one. Like I I felt as if, yeah, I needed to catch up as well. It was, it was interesting. Like when I went back and rewatched season one of Picard, um, it had been like uh, quite some time. I found it, it was so much less frustrating to watch when I just binged it, where I, where I just didn't have to think about things too much. Whereas when I, but funnily enough, I, I thought that maybe I'd appreciate discovery season three more when I binge watched it. And unfortunately that was not the case. I just, I I got even more frustrated watching that because I, I knew where things were going and I knew it just it was going to end up with Sue call the, the radioactive man boy in the end.
1: Now you're fairly fresh of having revisited, you know, season three discovery and you did binge through it very quickly as opposed to watching it week to week. But like, do you notice a difference in terms of how these episodes sort of linger in the memory with maybe discovery seasons three and four versus what was going on previously.
0: Like seasons one, two discovery versus three, four discovery. Like how much time I spent thinking about it because I am doing kind of the week to week viewing.
1: Not only thinking about, but just like the impact of the episode, like kind of walking away with like memories of the experience of that episode. Like what happened in it. it? It was so novel to have Star Trek back on TV versus season
0: one. So it's got that going for it. Um, for season two, I, I again, you had kind of that novelty of knowing Spock was going to appear. You had a very charismatic, uh, you know, co-star, which was Anson Mount. It was very cool to see that going on. And I think with season three, though, it's just um, I wish a lot of the uh, episodes would linger more in my head. But unfortunately, we're doing stuff like the Seed Vault or s- uh, Space Locusts or, you know, Running Man ripoffs. Like that sort of stuff, or you know radioactive man child, like it's kind of like that that stuff doesn't linger in my brain and so far this season i I feel like this is stronger than season three, but like it's not really like i I don't think I'm gonna think about like m m a fighting on a really bad casino set,
1: you know for much more after after we stop recording this I, I might. <laughs> <laughs> that and um, being very happy to see some facial tattooing uh, since Chakotay coming back. Like, that was kind of exciting, I suppose. I, I, I'm i thrilled.
0: <laughs> okay, well, Cam, uh, as always, we're going to do our Boba Fett's recap, but not until the end. We don't want to spoil anything for anybody, so we'll wrap up here. And uh, look, next week, I think we'll want to tackle the three eras of Picard. You know, one Jean-Luc Picard, that is. You know, this is a fella we're going to be getting in season two of his titular series. And I think we really want to kind of dive into how much this character has gone through a journey over the course of The Next Generation, then into the movies, and now his own TV spinoff. So we're, we only have a few more weeks until Picard uh, returns. And I, I think this is going to be fun for us to really examine uh, Picard in a way. We, we've talked about doing an episode to, you know, to, dedicated to him, but I, I think this is kind of going to be the more interesting way, whether, rather than just talking about you know, his own personal history, Cam. This is about kind of diving into the, the mythology and the evolution of the character
1: in a, kind of a cool, different way. Also, just a much easier to digest way of tackling it versus, you remember the episode in season four, dot, <laughs> dot, dot. Like, this is, I think, a way to break it down in terms of an evolution of the character that is interesting just as a reflection as to why he matters so much, but also kind of a queue up for season two Picard. Yeah, yeah, queue up. That's right. Yeah. Purpose. Okay. I did that on purpose, of course. <laughs> okay. Cam, uh, where can we find you on Twitter? I'm at Cam, V as in violent MMA fighting, Smith. You can
0: find me at Reportin. That's R as in Ronda Rousey versus Joanne (laughs) Owau-Owashikin in the ring. (laughs) Uh, E-P-O-R-T-O-N. Very nice, very nice. I also beg everybody to uh, go to Facebook, uh, give us uh, a follow there, and also... If you're on your podcatchers, uh, not just give us a, a good rating there, but uh, give us a review because that really helps with the algorithm even more than just the good ratings. And if you are uh, from outside Canada, um, uh, maybe send us your reviews. Uh, so because we can't see them, it, it's weird how kind of the uh, the geo locking works. But uh, we, we'd be happy to take a look at um, everybody praising me. That, that's especially what I, I'm interested in.
1: <laughs> As they are for sure. Um... But uh, speaking of praise, Tyler, maybe it's time to open the book cam of Borton Fett. And I need to know, is there more praise coming from you? Uh, no, it's time for me to close that book cam because
0: this, uh, this finale sucked. Uh, despite the fact that you had some like cool moments with Grogu coming back that I enjoyed, but I, it was uh, a good solid 40 minutes of terrible action directing coming from one of my favorite directors, uh, Robert Rodriguez, who I, I, I really respect. I don't know if this just means he's kind of part of that, you know how like Marvel has that whole Marvel machine where it's just kind of these folks over at Industrial Light and Magic do all of the action directing there is this is what happened i don't i don't know what happened but um I, unfortunately i i i got my hopes up that maybe this entire ill-gotten mini series whatever you want to call it w- would have redeemed itself after 3 or after uh the the finale and and it did not thoroughly disappointed can't wait for obi-wan to uh shake things up in just a few months now
1: yeah i thought this was kind of a baffling finale but also it felt like the best way to wrap up this very um, ill-conceived Boba Fett show in that, yeah, it was just an hour-long action episode of just weird action. I don't really understand the logistics or the uh, strategy of any of the combat going on on screen, Um, but ultimately what it did was it killed all the bad guys and left Boba Fett to do whatever it is he's going to do And we don't need a Season 2. Like, it really felt like it could close that book on Boba Fett. I just... I don't understand the intent of this show. Because if you were to look at The Mandalorian Season 2, the ending, you have Boba Fett sitting on this throne, killing Bib Fortuna. And it's like, okay, we have Boba Fett as a crime lord. Okay, he's going to be taking over the crime syndicates of Tatooine. That is an interesting angle to a show. That's also what the marketing promised for this show as well, actually. And... When I get to the end of this episode and he's talking about how the people rely on him and all this, it's like Boba Fett doesn't really want to be a crime lord. He wants to be the sheriff, I guess. It's just very strange. Well, he's a crime lord who's going to outlaw drugs. Yeah. Which, Cam, um,
0: all that does is raise the the price and the value of drugs, which means that the this drug war, <laughs> it's going to escalate further. Like, he just seems like a very dim character. And I, also I was thinking, like, couldn't Fennec Shan have just gotten to where we are right now by assassinating all those crime lords like she did in like the last like five minutes of this episode like couldn't she have done that in episode one and and everything would
1: have been solved yes like we've you and i have both watched obviously sopranos but also shows like boardwalk empire um and you know breaking bad has its gangster elements as well um they don't wait until the finale often to bump off the problem. Sometimes that happens in, like, episode three because story-wise it makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's like uh, one of the things we, we complain about with regards to Discovery is often their solution is to just brute force their way out of it. And this is essentially what we saw here. And you'll say, oh, it's Star Wars. But I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm thinking about kind of the, the emotional stuff that we got with, like, the finale of Mando Season 2, where you have, like, Luke coming in, tearing things apart, but you also have kind of the emotional stuff that we're dealing with, um, like, the Darksaber and
1: what it means for the Mandalorian people.
0: I, I what, what did you get here?
1: Well, there's no emotional core to this Boba Fett show whatsoever, other than a very confusing protagonist who has no clear objectives whatsoever. I guess... Succeeding in the end, but I don't even know what that means. Like, I don't know what Boba Fett wants. There's a part in this episode that I actually laughed out loud where they're in that bombed out, um, you know, former nightclub, and Boba Fett's like, okay, I want to do this and this and that. And then one of those like teenage gang dudes, you know, one of the bikers says, "Uh, no, I want to do this. And Boba Fett goes, okay. I'm like, my god, this is the most spineless, confused lead character I could ever imagine. And it makes no sense because it's not like there isn't decades upon decades of expanded universe Boba Fett stories and all this sort of stuff. Like, there's a lot to this character in theory that could be explored and solidified on a show in a canon universe. They seem completely confused how to write Boba Fett.
0: I I, I just... (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I don't need to see another season of this one. If he shows up as a recurring character, that's fine. I, I'm. Maybe you know more than I do uh, with regards to this. Who is standing outside the Bakta tank that uh, Cobb Vanth was in? Like, Did it even matter? Or was that just supposed
1: to be the reveal that Cobb is alive, Like, which we all assumed he was? Yeah, the way that shot, it's very confusing because I also responded of going, am I supposed to know who that guy is? It's actually a musician, like it's kind of a celeb cameo, um, but the reveal is just that Cobb Vanth is in the tank.
0: Okay, so it's not like a significant character.
1: No, no.
0: Okay, okay. I just, it meant nothing to me. Like, um, I was hoping to see, uh, oh, what's his name? Chrysanthemum? Yeah. Or, <laughs> uh, uh, in that Bakta tank with all the fur, like just like uh, choking up the, the tubes or something. That That would have been funny.
1: Well, I think that was kind of the reveal because they kept setting up that, uh, you know, evil Chewbacca was going to wind up in the tank. And at the end, it's the reveal that it's actually, um, yeah, the um, Timothy Olyphant character. But it kind of fell flat in terms of uh, reveals. There was a couple other notes I wanted to make, too, about we had that character Cad Bane introduced uh, the last episode. What an incredible reveal. And I know that's a character from the animated world who fans are very familiar with. Um, Boy, that paid off.
0: Well, I mean, unless I see somebody's, like, head literally explode... Sure. I, I I, can buy... And this is a guy who, I guess, has been Darth vader up to a certain degree. So just because he's been impaled, I, I could buy him possibly returning. Uh, but as you said, Cam, like, I was kind of... I, I found his exit rather deflating to watch. Uh, after all that... Like, he seemed to be the coolest thing that uh, the, the series has you know, been able to create on its own without relying on, like, uh, past character fan service sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, although I guess he's technically an animated character. I don't know. I just, I I, I don't feel as if I'm, like, one of those, I, look, I'm not a hardcore Star Wars fan. I, I'm a fan of good storytelling, and so I don't feel like I'm one of those toxic fanboys who's like, this is not the Star Wars that I remember. This is not what Star Wars is meant to be. I just, I, I don't think this
1: season's been good storytelling at all. No, and I thought it was very um, dubious to have Cad Bane exchanging this dialogue with Boba Fett about their, like, past history, which you had to have watched an animated show to get. Like, that's fine if they had a history um, on the animated shows, but you've got to reestablish that relationship uh, in live action if you're going to have Cad Bane there. Because it meant nothing to me to have him saying these things to Boba Fett. Yeah.
0: Um, You pumped for Obi-Wan coming up, uh, I believe, May 25th?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of am. I'm I'm hopeful that they can pull it off. I will just say, just lastly, before we close the Book of Boba Fett, the sight of him riding on the back of a Rancor, pretty cool. Um, the King Kong kind of stuff, kind of cool. Um, if I'm going to get Rancors, not bad. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping Obi-Wan delivers. I mean, it's a shorter series. Um, I'm hoping that Ewan McGregor maybe had some caveats for coming back because I know he wasn't the happiest with the prequels. So I'm hoping that that meant that they really had to promise him, like, a decent script and, like, something that will actually, you know, <laughs> warrant him being there. And uh, we'll see. We'll, well see. The, they, they had scripts ready to go for
0: this, and then they uh, did not move forward with filming. They they went back and rewrote all the scripts. So that that that's either a good thing or a bad, a bad thing that we should be concerned about. But uh, it tells me, like, if they weren't satisfied with the scripts— and they wanted to fix them. At least they're going through that process before anybody went in front of the lens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'm just really interested to know how much like they struggled week to week on Fet. Like when Fabro's writing these screenplays for these episodes. Like, was it a show that was just like he was just cranking out? Like, oh, I'm so inspired. Or was it like things that were being just kind of cobbled together? Because it seems like it was kind of a painless production. I. Uh... I just wonder if they, they thought that the um,
0: mythology of the character would have carried so much more weight than it actually did when you're really making him quite boring and a bit of a, a dud and somebody who's rather dim as well. And I, I'm sorry, but like just having cool armor and being a man of few words, it, it just it's not enough to carry an entire
1: season of television. No, and I don't really know how I feel about making what seems like very major Mandalorian um, story developments happen in like two episodes late in the run of Boba Fett. Like, I think that's kind of weird too. Well, I'm wondering about the people that are big fans of Mando, but maybe gave up
0: after, uh, you know, three, four episodes of Boba Fett. I mean, they're going to feel obligated to go
1: back and, you know, finish off the season of Boba Fett too. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe that's how they uh, were trying to um, make sure that people continued through the book of Fett. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, okay um uh, look uh I think we've decided we're gonna call our next reviews um uh cam is that <laughs> is that what it is cam
1: I think that's it yeah yeah we're gonna really struggle with Osako <laughs> uh no, uh ort Sokam. oh you know what you you've done it um what about um yeah. what's the other one the one with Diego Luna coming up
0: uh andor, andor.
1: oh that's pretty easy. That's su- Cam Dorton. That's super easy. <laughs> Thank you, Star Wars.
0: <laughs> I guess it's just uh, Book of Borton... Uh, or Book
1: Cam of Borton Fett was uh, the real struggle, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. We should be safe in the future, then, for renaming these titles for our yeah. podcast notes. Um, and hopefully they're more readable than the Book Cam of Borton Fett. <laughs> okay. So, until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.